under 12. And I got word that their mother was in an accident and had died. And here she was coming back from Tirana in the vehicle, flipped, submerged in the water. They took her out, took her to the hospital in Tirana, the capital, pronounced her dead, took her down to the morgue. And I heard about this, and so I was on my way over to uh, talk to the kids. And someone came and said, Pastor, the kids are praying. They're not letting go. And so before I even got there, uh, they had heard from the hospital that the people in the morgue had a big surprise because the mother came back to life. <laughs> and, and when I talked to the kids, they said, you know, we're, we weren't going to let go of our mother. And we, they, we were praying that God would bring her back to life. And that's one of two that I know of, of people who've come back to life in our ministry there. And we're going to share with you some miracles that have happened and lives that have been transformed. So I encourage you to come and get your tickets. And uh, we'd love to have you there. Thanks, David. And um, so if you can make that, uh, by all means, uh, talk to them afterwards, um, hear more stories. It's great to hear what God's doing. Amen? And it's good to see what God's doing here. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're having to put out a few extra chairs. Uh, Don't let that upset you. Um, But, um, you know, because you may come here one Sunday morning and somebody's sitting in your seat. Lord forbid. But uh, it's going to happen. And uh, brace yourself, get ready. Like we sang that song, um, rain down, Lord, rain down. Don't you want the rain of the Holy Spirit in your life? Your marriage, your home, your business, your family, uh, your education, uh, your whole life. Well, we're in Romans chapter 12. Have the kids gone to Sunday school? I guess they have. Uh, They're going to have a great lesson down there as well. Romans chapter 12. uh, I want to read you from verse 1 to verse 8. It'll be on the screen. Uh, We're not looking at the whole chapter today, just the first eight verses. And uh, we may not even get through the first eight verses, but we'll give it a shot. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say it to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we we who are many from one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Father, we're grateful for your word. We thank you for this 
amazing book of Romans and the things that we are learning and uh, what you're showing us in our individual lives. Also, Father, we're believing that not only are we hearers of your word, but we want to be diligently doers of it as well. Let your word speak to all of us this morning. Help me as I share, Lord, that we might um, share that which is appropriate for each one of us here today, and that we might receive from your hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you've got the notes, sir, the outline. I will try and follow it in your bulletin if we can. Um, But uh, I want to say thanks, too, for all the volunteers that um, have been working there in the foyer. And it's amazing. Um, I had nothing to do with it. Um, I never lifted a paintbrush. Uh, It was awesome. And to see uh, everything getting done, and as you can see, it's not quite finished yet. But um, you may want to volunteer to help get it done. Uh, I'm not sure the schedule, how that's all going to happen. But um, if you want to volunteer and help, uh, you may want to talk to Bernie um, or Don, his wife. They're the architects of this um, uh, thing. And so you may want to just chat with them afterwards and... uh, Sign up and be a part of uh, being a blessing in, in that regard as well. Uh, it's probably not the end of what's going to be happening around here, but uh, it's a start. Here in Romans chapter 12, um, this section really is on, on service. It's the practical part of the book of Romans, and it deals with the basics of Christian living. The first half of Romans, or the first part that we've talked about now, is all about what to believe And this part now is on how to behave. Paul always starts his books this way, really. He starts with sound doctrine and then says, sound doctrine leads to sound living. Sound doctrine leads to sound living. And so in the first 11 chapters, he's covered all kinds of doctrines, all basic fundamental beliefs. And now he comes to chapter 12, and the first thing he says is, therefore, I urge you. As I wrote in the bulletin, one of the principles of interpretation of Scripture is whenever you see a therefore, you look for what it's there for. Try to find, okay, why is it there? And Paul is saying, in light of everything that we've talked about now, this is the way you ought to live. And there's so much in this chapter, and I'm sorry, we're not going to cover it all. The last part of the, of the chapter really is about uh, loving one another and how love really will grow a church. And so you want to understand church growth, you read the last part of chapter 12, and you ask the Holy Spirit to show you, because uh, that's a whole other message in itself, and maybe we'll touch it one day, but we don't have time this morning. There are four great therefores in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it's not on the slide, but it's it's the therefore of sin. Romans is a very logical book, and... uh, Then Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it's the therefore of salvation. We've been justified by faith. Romans 8, chapter 1, it's the therefore of security. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, is the therefore of service. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual Worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is in those good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul says, therefore, on the basis of all the teaching we've covered in 11 chapters, here's how you behave. 
point that he makes, he wants to make, and the first blank in your outline is, true tests of my belief is my behavior. True test of my belief is my behavior. When Paul gets practical, he begins to deal with relationships. And when you want to be a practical Christian, you take doctrine and teaching, all that we've covered, and now you've got to put it into practice. Can't be a hearer only, have to be a doer. So I want us to look at how to discover God's will and how to deal with our relationship to God uh, because he says God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. How do you discover the will of God for your life? It's not a difficult thing. There's no magic formula, one, two, three, four, in that sense. But God's will isn't a formula. It's not a feeling. But there are some principles that outline what is God's will for your life. First of all, we've got the principle of dedication. Here in chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, commit your total life to Christ. He made us. He paid the price for us. He deserves our entire life. The secret to knowing God's will is to be willing in advance to do whatever his will is. Even before you know what it is. I mean, how many people say, God, you show me what your will is, and then after I know your will, I'll decide on whether I want to do it or not. Friends, God doesn't play games. If you want to know God's will, you decide you're going to do this before his will is ever revealed. Yes, God, whatever your will is for me, it's good, it's perfect, it's great, I'm in. Whatever it is for my life. I heard of a pastor once who preached in a church. The worship team, they were singing a song, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that song. And, uh, and they built it to a great crescendo. And then they introduced the guest speaker. And they said, Lord, you've already heard our answer. Now tell us what you want us to do. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Now tell us what you want us to do. That's the attitude that God wants us to have. I'm willing to do your will in advance, even before I know what it is. To be totally dedicated to God means to say yes to him for your life, your business, your home, your family. And what's the reason for our dedication? He says it there. I urge your brothers in view of God's mercies. Why should I dedicate my life, myself to God? Because of what God has done for me. All of his mercies. What are his mercies? Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 8 covers in detail what his mercies are. If God has been so good to us, surely we ought to give our lives in return to him. The starting point, dedicate your life to God totally. Christian dedication is made up of three things. It's voluntary, offer your bodies, make a decisive dedication of your body, and here when it says offer your bodies, it means offer means to voluntarily commit. Vol- Williams' translation says make a decisive dedication of your body. It's the same word used for making a reservation for a table in a restaurant. It means to make a reservation. The table's been set. It's been set for your benefit. Nobody else can use that table. There's a reservation card on your life. God, my life, my time, my money, myself completely belongs to you. It's voluntary. 
It's also practical. Offer your bodies. Now, why would God want your body? Some of us don't even like our bodies. Why would God want your body? Well, God says, give me what you've got. Why doesn't God say, offer your soul or offer your spirit? He says, offer your bodies. If God owns your body, he owns you. If he owns your body, he owns you. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I can't make it to the meeting. I can't make it to that uh, gathering tonight, but I'll be with you in spirit. That's great sentiment, but practically it's worthless. Your spirit doesn't do anything if your body isn't there. I'm sorry. Your spirit's in here. Your body's not there, your spirit's not there, or you've got some crazy doctrine. So it's worthless to say that. Oh, maybe it's a great sentiment, makes somebody feel warm and fuzzy, but it's one say, one thing to say, you'll give your money to missions. It's another thing to say, I'm going to give my body and go spend a couple of weeks on the mission field. Not that your money is not important. When you give your body, it means you're giving yourself. It says be practical. Do something about it. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you're dedicated your body to God? When a need occurs, do you meet it? I heard years ago, a fellow um, went to uh, you know, the slums and Bill Wilson started a Sunday school uh, ministry and thousands upon thousands of kids bust in, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he said, I'll never forget this. He said, if you want to know the will of God for your life is, if you see a need, meet it. If you see a need, meet it. I want us to remember that little phrase. I want us to remember it here at Northwest Family Church. If you see a need, meet it. Because if you're seeing it, perhaps the Holy Spirit is showing you that need because you have the wherewithal, the compassion, the mercy, the gifts, etc. to help meet that need. We need to organize something to see that need met. I received a phone call this morning at the office and uh, from a fellow who, who said, um, I'm calling around, he says, I, I really need help. Um, our home was broken into on uh, Thursday or Friday night or something, and uh, they stole all the food in our freezer and in our fridge. And they located in our cupboards a jar where we were having a little money, saving a jar for some things our kids needed, and it was all taken. And he said, I don't know what to do. My boss is in Lethbridge, not back till Tuesday, so he can't help me until next week. Just wondering if got anything to help. I said, well, I, I have to be honest with you, I don't know. I said, we do have some food here. Um, and um, so uh, I said, give me your name and number, and I'll call you or somebody else will call you after service. I'm thinking, wow, here's a, here's a man, desperate, five people in the house, all the food been stolen out of their fridge and freezer. And I said, well, I don't have anything in the freezer or the fridge here, but we probably do have some canned goods and some... Pasta and that kind of stuff, but um, thinking, wow. He says, well, I'm calling around just to try to find some help for the weekend, get through until next week. I'm thinking, there's a lot of needs in our city. Some that are somewhat natural needs, some that are 
imposed on people because of those kinds of events. And I'm saying, Lord, we can't necessarily meet them all, but help us to meet the ones that come our way. And um, so we offer our body voluntarily. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's complete. Sacrifice means total, unconditional dedication to God. The starting point for knowing God's will is dedication. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And usually when we think of sacrifice, we think of something dead. But this says living sacrifice. Now there's a problem with a living sacrifice, right? And we know what the problem is. It wants to crawl off the altar. You know, we've, we've, dedic- we've committed ourselves to the Lord and then there's something comes up and, well... Uh, not me for that one, Lord. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a living sacrifice, but uh, no, I'm, I'm getting off this altar because I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for that one. And a lot of us, maybe we come to church and we commit ourselves on Sunday, and then on Monday we crawl off the altar. We sing Onward Christian Soldiers, or we used to sing Onward Christian Soldiers, then on Monday we go AWOL. It's like Monday's a different day. It says Holy and pleasing to God. In the Greek it means well-pleasing to God, which means it makes God happy when we commit ourselves to him. And when you do this, the scripture says, it's your spiritual worship. Wow. Worship is not something you do just on Sundays. Worship is any time you commit yourself to God. Any time you make a commitment of your life to God, you're worshiping. A commitment of your time, your praise, your, your life, your talents, your energy. It's an act of worship. And he says, we can be living in constant worship of God. Wow. When we have the act of dedication. So you offer yourself, totally commit yourself to God. Then he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Ties in with dedication. One of the resources we're not, de- we're not dedicated to the Lord, or one of the reasons why we're not dedicated to the Lord is because we're dedicated to the world. And the point here is insulation. Principle of insulation. When he talks about the world, he's not talking about people in the world. The Bible says God loves the people in this world. Amen? He loves them. He's talking about the world's value system. Don't be caught up in the spirit of the age. Me first. That's the philosophy of the world. Don't be conformed to that. He's not talking about things. He's talking about values. The Phillips translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Have you ever felt pressured by the world to conform? Kind of bend and go with? That's everybody's doing it. How can the Christian relate to the world when he's living in the world, but not of the world? The Christian's relationship to the world is not isolation, and it's not imitation, it's insulation. Most Christians go to one or the other extreme. And, you know, when relating to the world. Some are isolationists. I don't want to have anything to do with the world, therefore I won't go to any movies. I won't watch any television. I won't dress like the world does. I wear a different standard. And then we go live in a monastery and become a monk. That's not the secret. If we isolate ourselves... How will we ever win the world? I I agree, we have to be careful with what goes in the eye gate and the ear gate. But to isolate ourselves is of no value to reaching the people that Jesus Christ died for. Some Christians imitate the world. Whatever the world does, I'll do it too. I want to fit in. The Bible says don't imitate the world's values. It's not isolation, it's not imitation, 
It's insulation. Paul is saying, culture is a totally unreliable source for getting your guidance in life. Don't be conformed to this world. If, any, if everybody else is doing it, oh, my, I guess it must be okay. No, most people make their decisions on what is acceptable. We like to conform. And we don't like to stick out. Every year, magazines, you know, they put out articles that tell us what's in and what's out. It's amazing what's in. I remember Bible college. We had a choir called uh, Harmonaires. And every year they had a different outfit. And so the year that we were in the choir, uh, the choir director chose for us these um, plaid, purple, white pants for the guys. Like, you know, not quite that wide, but... And uh, it was kind of the in thing way back then. You know what? I almost think those are coming back. But, um, I mean, plaid shirts are, plaid whatever. It, but, you know, styles change, and we all, you know, we're so concerned about it. Now, obviously, I don't think we should be looking like prunes and, and you know, and sticking out in really weird ways, whatever. But I think we have to be careful where we're getting our values from. And so, uh, living by the culture of this world is, is not always, you know, it's not good to get your guidance necessarily from that. You have to get your guidance either from the world or from the word. If you want to know God's will, don't get your cues from the world. The problem today is Christians automatically accept whatever standard the world is saying, even if God says it's wrong. Now, um, I don't want to go back to the old days, but I remember the girls, they're, they're, they had to dress with uh, skirts and dresses, whatever. They had to be at least, remember David, one inch below the knee. And uh, none of this up here stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, whatever. whatever and, and uh, <clears throat> I mean, things were really different back there. Aren't, aren't you thankful that it's back then? I mean, when we were going to, when I was dating Marilyn, I had to get a date permit signed by the dean of men, dean of women. If they didn't sign it, you didn't go out. And uh, nowadays it's um, the pastor gives you your date permit, Right. Any young men want to go with the young lady, you've got to come and see me. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, I mean, we had some different things back then, and it was all good. But I don't know where they got those from. I don't find that in the Bible. But uh, I think they were just trying to, you know, make sure our relationships were cool and good. But uh, I don't even know what that comment had to do with my message. But anyway, um, <clears throat> television is an incredible influence on your life. The big screen is an incredible influence on your life. I think... Um, in our Canadian and probably U.S. culture, perhaps we've lost our ability to blush. We've lost our ability to blush. What is your tolerance level? What does it take before you'll change the channel? What's your limit? Psychologists say that everything you see goes into your subconscious. The word conform, don't be conformed, is the word we get scheme from in English and also schizo. It's literally used for a Greek play actor who would wear a mask, play a part, pick up another mask and play another part. One man would play several roles. When we conform to the world, we're not being genuine and real. We're just playing games. We're play acting. It's out of our character. It's out of character for the Christian to listen to the world in that regard. If you want to know God's will, first dedicate 
totally sold out to Jesus Christ, and then insulation. It's interesting that God has promised that he will keep us within the culture we're living. His power is big enough to keep us holy and righteous. Now, I'm not saying, you know, go paint the chrome on your vehicle and, you know, next week we're going to have somebody checking at the door, make sure you've got no earrings and rings. I'm not saying those kind of outward things. When our body, when we're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and we understand that he owns us, we have his spirit living within us. The greatest influence in our life is the spirit of God revealing to us the word of God. That's the greatest influencer in our life as we have that relationship with him. And he insulates us, in a sense, from being an imitator or being an isolationist. And so he allows us, if you want to use that word balance, Paul is saying culture is totally unreliable. 1 John 2.17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but the person who does the will of God abides forever. It's simple logic that the people in the world are not following God's will. It's obvious. If you're following what most people are doing, you're probably not following God's will. And you can't discover it by always worrying about what other people think. Where do you get your cues in life on? Where do you get your guidance? What do you base your life on? As we heard earlier, prayer is such a key thing in understanding what God's will is for your life as you completely give yourself to him. Don't be conformed. If you want to know God's will, first dedicate. Totally sold out to Jesus Christ. Second, insulation. Don't imitate the vines of the world. And thirdly, we need transformation. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. The principle of transformation. By the renewing of your mind. He's talking about the Holy Spirit changing us on the inside. The Holy Spirit works like a microwave oven. From the inside out. And so he changes us on the inside. And then on the outside, we begin to see the evidence of the change. And the word in Greek is the word we get our our word metamorphosis. God metamorphosizes us. He changes the very nature of our personality. Now psychologists say that your personality, your basic personality is set by the time you're age three or four years old. But your personality can be changed. God is in the business of metamorphosis. Thank God I'm not stuck in my past. Maybe you had a bad past, mistreated, a lot of bad experiences in life. But God says, I can change that. I can change you from a caterpillar to a butterfly. You can be free. You can fly. But the cocoon has got to go. Sorry. It's got to go. The cocoon is the old ways, the old habits, the old patterns. Don't be conformed anymore. God has something exciting for you. God, I remember years ago when you watched the quartets and they'd swing this thing that they're singing. I feel like swinging something. No chandeliers here. God has something great for us as a church. And he has something great for you as an individual, for your family, for your future. God is in the process of changing all of us. As we sang earlier from that that shame and all those things that were there, God is in the process. And we're going to see something exciting. We've got to get to it. I'm I'm moving. I'm moving. Okay. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's not on the screen. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Scripture says, one day, when you see Jesus Christ perfectly, when he returns, or when you go to be with him in heaven, you're going to be instantly changed to be just like him. That's the total metamorphosis. In the meantime, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that's not on the screen either. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being, notice now, transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who's the Spirit. We're being changed to be like Christ more and more on a daily basis. I like what Kevin said earlier. You can see some things on the outside. You may see some things changing here on the outside as far as the physical structure of the building. But it is reflecting what's going on in in the hearts and lives of some people. And hopefully you. And there's even more changes that God is doing in your life that are going to become evident on the outside, as in a moment we're going to discuss and, and, and look at, okay, what are the spiritual gifts that God has given you? Because as he's changed you and he's transformed you and he's put his Holy Spirit in you and you've committed yourself to God and you've dedicated your life to him and you're being transformed every day in your relationship with Jesus Christ, he has placed in your life a gift or some gifts that he wants to come out. And he wants it to come out. Don't get so excited. He wants it to come out so that He'll be glorified, and the body, the church, will be edified and built up. There's, I'm jumping ahead, but there's some things that God wants to do through your life, and you're not doing them, and you're hurting the body. It's like, if all of a sudden this leg decided it wasn't going to work, Friends, there's some legs that are limping in the body of Christ. Or maybe there's some demonstration of being fed, and maybe your hand is supposed to be feeding a part of the body, and your hand says, I don't want to do that anymore. And so your foot and your toe says, okay, I'll do it. Have you ever tried to put a fork in your, between your toes and feed yourself? Now, there's some people who they don't have arms and hands. It's amazing how they can do those things, but it's not the way you were designed. And there's things in the body of Christ that are going to get done in a God-honoring, glorifying way because we're going to identify and see what God's gifts and talents and abilities are in all of us because the Bible says, that which every joint supplies... Every person in this room, and some who are missing, every person in this room has a contributable gift and talent to add to the unity of the body of Christ. Every person. You say, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I have any gifts. I don't know if I have any talents or abilities. God in his word says you do. Who are you going to believe? Yourself? Or the unfallible, always true Word of God? And that's how He wants us to function in a greater way. So He's transforming us, He's changing us. So, how do you look at the Word? Or how do you look at the Lord, rather? Through the Bible, His book, 
And I, as I look at Christ through his book, I read more and more about him. I'm changed. I become more and more like him. And I'm transformed. So, dedication, commit yourself to Christ. Insulation, separate from the world. Transformation, renew your mind by the word. The word is so important. The key to changing your life is to change the way you think. Here. Here's where the enemy attacks us. Right here. The scripture teaches that the way we think determines the way we feel. And the way we feel determines the way we act. Sometimes, not always, I understand there's illness related to depression. But sometimes if we're acting depressed, it's because we're feeling depressed. And we're feeling depressed because we're thinking depressed thoughts. If we'll try to change um, the way we feel or the way we act, it's not going to, you know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. We have to go to the source and change the way you think. Scripture says, does any praise, anything praiseworthy, good, lovely, true report, think on these things. Think. Think on these things. Talking to someone the other day when they called and they asked uh, for, you know, they're trying to... Um, trying to forgive somebody and they try to forgive and forgive and they can't forgive because they think they have to forget. I haven't forgotten, so I haven't forgiven. Now here's a whole thinking pattern that's messed us up. We think if I, until I forget that hurt or that injury, I haven't forgiven. Friends, you have an incredible brain. And this brain has a capacity and ability to just store so many things. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness, just like love, is a choice. We choose to forgive. And as we, so I, I told the friend, says, I don't know if we're ever going to really totally forget the things that people did. The pain will dull. The sensation of seeing that person will change. But I'm not sure if we're ever really going to be totally forget. We cannot indiscriminately pick a button and choose what we're going to forget in our life. It just... Now, if you've, if you've you know, kind of uh, got that thing down and you can do that, let me know how you do that. Because I know in my life, and I mentioned to the guy on the phone, I said, in my life, there's a lot of things that people have said and done in my past that are terrible and very hurtful and injurious to me. But God really had to speak to me sometime, a long time ago now, but... He still speaks, but I mean, on this occasion. And uh, he said to me, Roy says, you need to start praying for those people. I said, I have been. I've been trying to pray them out of the church. No, no, he says, no, no. You need to pray for them that I, him, might transform their life. Because I was hoping to transform their life. And the best way to transform their life is to get them out of my sight. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Just If I don't see them, out of sight, out of mind, right? And so God began to change my heart. I began to pray for these people. And, and it's incredible that when I see those people, I don't necessarily forget what they've said or done, but it sure is not the first thing I think about. I think now about the times I was praying for them, not the times I was, you know how we do that. Don't look so smug. You all do it. But as we pray for people, it changes us. 
And it changes our outlook on those circumstances and situations. It is really a choice. Our mind is beginning to be renewed. And the pain dullens. And pretty soon it's like you can see that person and genuinely embrace them in Christ. And it's surprising how they squirm as you hug them. And you smile and say, yes, Lord, yes, you're so good. Squirm, buddy. No, no. God changes your heart. Because he's changed here. Scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Psalm 119.9, it's not on the screen either, but it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Here in Romans 12, the secret of changing my life is to change my thoughts. Be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And the Bible says we renew our mind by the washing of water of the word. You wash with water and soap and clean your outer self. But our mind gets washed and renewed as we spend time in the Word of God. God's will is found in God's Word. You cannot find God's will without God's Word. Most of God's will has already been revealed. And as you read His Word, He speaks to you. He'll never contradict God's Word. People say, well, I have this impression. My first reaction inside is, what does the Bible say about this impression? That's how a lot of false ideas and religions get started, by somebody having an impression or an apple hits their head underneath a tree. I mean, that's how so many things get developed and started. Some impression. Somebody gets an impression. Galatians says, even if an angel comes and tells you some new revelation, if it's anything contrary to what's in the Word, don't accept it. It's not God's will. We can get confused about God's will because we don't know the word, why should I discover God's will for my life? It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. God's will is three things. He says God's will is good. In the Greek there, it means high quality. Okay, God's, word is, God's will is high quality. God's will is pleasing and acceptable. A lot of people think God's will is, is unpleasing or unacceptable. You know, I figure if... If I want to do this and it really makes me feel great and whatever, and it's not, I don't find anything in the Bible that's contrary to it, but if I want to do this and it's really good, well, God's will has got to be the opposite. You ever thought about that? Or somebody said that to you? Be careful when you commit your life to Christ. He's going to send you to the Congo as a missionary. So? I mean, we always think that you know, if, if, if it's something we like to do or, you know, we enjoy, well, God's will has got to be the opposite. And, uh, but no, listen. God's will is pleasing. It's acceptable. Sometimes we think if it's good, if it's fun or enjoyable, it must not be God's will. God's will is pleasing and acceptable. And the word in the Greek means satisfying. If you've committed your entire life to God and he owns everything about you, why are you worried about the things that you enjoy to do, whether it's fishing, Carlos? I don't know if God's will for you to go fishing, Carlos. But anyway, of course it is. He had fishermen in the Bible. What about, you know, well, I, I enjoy to, you know, I enjoy to watch football this afternoon as 
Saskatchewan tromps, who are they playing? Ottawa. I enjoy football, and so you're saying, Pastor, please don't preach too long. The football game is on. Started at 11, right? Um, or, you know, now don't all of you leave all of a sudden. I reminded you of that. I know it's pleasing, but God's will for you to stay. And so we think, you know, folks, listen, God's will is pleasing. It's acceptable. He enjoys giving you good and perfect gifts. It's perfect. It's complete. God's will is the best. It literally means it's God's plan for your life. God's plan for you and for me is tailor-made. It's uniquely designed for you. It fits. It's like a suit that's been tailor-made. It fits you perfectly. It doesn't fit anybody else. It just fits you. It's an original. Friend, you are an original. You know how valuable originals are? You are an original. That's why he says don't follow the ways of the world because you can't, you, how can you follow what everybody else is doing when God's will is tailor-made for you? Paul starts out by talking about the most practical aspect of the Christian life. So there's God's will and go through that and I want to quickly just run through really fast the last part of your outline. How to become all that God wants you to be. How to become all that God wants you to be. I want to pause here and just pray again. Father, every one of us in some degree or other, we're searching. We're looking. We're, we're wanting to please you. We're wanting to fulfill the plans and purposes you have for our life. and We want to know what that is. and We want to know where we fit and And how you want to use our life, particularly in this world that we live in and in our home and the community and where we work and where we worship. Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that there'd be a revelation that would come every searching heart, every person who's totally committed their life to you, Christ, and and they want to they live for you. They want to honor you. We don't always seem to do it right, but our desire is to bring honor and glory to you and, and build up the rest of the family of God. So Holy Spirit, will you just help us in these last few moments? Will you speak to us individually and corporately, but more so every person in this room? I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself in an amazing way. In Jesus' name. We talked about, if we're to become all that God wants you, we talked about dedicate our whole body. We covered that. And that's where it has to begin. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Friends, I'm sorry. It has to begin there. It has to begin with giving our all to him and asking him to forgive us and allowing his Holy Spirit to come and and dwell and live inside of us and lead us and direct us and speak to us and show us things and reveal to us scripture and reveal to us the amazing love of Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves to him and 
we used to sing those songs in Sunday school. It really said, you know, you know, my eyes are yours, my mouth is yours, my ears are yours, my hands are yours, my feet are yours. God, help me to honor you in all that I do and say and everywhere I go. So we dedicate ourselves to him. And then as we dedicate ourselves to him, then it comes and we have to eliminate some of the competing distractions. When he said, don't conform, eliminate. If we're going to understand really all that God wants us to be, we have to start to eliminate some competing distractions. I'm not saying, you know, I want you here at the church 24-7, every time the door is open. I mean, Christians used to live that way, but friends, that's not, that's not what he's talking about here. Paul is saying, dedicate your life. And then he says there's some things you're going to have to eliminate that you're not conforming. If you're going to be used by God in any significant ministry, you're not going to have time for everything. So there's some things we're going to have to eliminate out of our schedule. We're going to have to maybe revise our lifestyle. And I'm not setting some rules. I'm just saying the Spirit of God may speak to you about some of these things. You're going to have to look at your priorities maybe. There's Christians who are extremely talented and gifted, but they're too busy for God. Used to be a mark of spirituality is how busy you were. Or at least we seem to think that was a mark of spirituality. Friends, I've lived too long of my life busy. I've lived too long of my life here for the last almost totally 29 years too busy. I've determined. There's, there's a revision been going on now for a few years in my life. And you need to know that, I'll touch on it hopefully if we have time a little later, but you need to know that I've, I've refined my purpose. My purpose is not to meet all of your needs. I can't. My purpose is to encourage and build and train and lift others to help meet your needs. Pastors burn out, leaders burn out, husbands burn out, wives burn out, kids burn out because we're just too busy. Just too much in our schedule. And maybe you need to listen to the Lord on this, but maybe there's some competing distractions that are keeping you from fulfilling God's purpose and plan for the tailor-made plan for your life. Pattern of the world is kind of make the bucks or whatever it takes. Look out for number one. Go for the gusto. You can have it all. Just It's not true. You can't have it all. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we dedicate our, as we talked about earlier, we may have to eliminate some competing distractions. If God's going to use you in the body of Christ, there's something you're going to have to eliminate out of your schedule. I often say, the person who burns a candle at both ends isn't as bright as he thinks he is. 
It's true. I mean, um, what's the guy's name? Bill Hybels wrote a book years ago, Too Busy Not to Pray. Just, we're just so busy. And if you've got four or five kids, you are really busy. Two kids you're busy. One kid you're busy. No kids you're We're all busy. How many are busy? How many are too busy? Uh, we need a confession booth and nobody can see you. Put your hand up. We're so busy. We have to evaluate our strengths. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sat down and evaluated your strengths? It says, for by the grace given to me, verse 3, I say to you, every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Friends, we need to be realistic. The exercise of your spiritual gift is directly dependent and influenced on your attitude about yourself, your own self-worth. He says, think about yourself with sober judgments. The word sober is two words in the Greek. It means to save and mind. To save your mind. <laughs> this is pretty good. To save your mind. Do some realistic self-appraisal. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? If God's going to use us effectively, you've got to know what you're good at. What has God gifted me at? To put yourself in the wrong position, such as teaching, because the church needs teachers, but you don't have the gift of teaching, there's nothing worse than listening to a teacher who doesn't have the gift of teaching. Have you ever had a school professor or whatever, and they didn't have... We had one in biology. He was so smart, but he couldn't communicate it. He didn't have the gift of teaching. We have the tendency to go to two extremes in evaluating ourselves. We either think we're indispensable or we think we're worthless. And both are wrong. Fact is, if we don't do our part, God's kingdom is still going to run on. It's just not dependent on us. We're not indispensable. Any of us can be replaced. But on the other hand, all of us are needed. Be realistic. Oh, there's so much I want to say, but I want to get down to the meat of it here. Step four, your outline. We need to cooperate with other believers. There's no lone rangers in the Christian life. God says no Christian is independent. We're all interdependent. We depend on each other. Verse 4 and 5, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, each member belongs to all the others. Paul is giving us an anatomy lesson. He says the church operates like a body, illustrated a little bit earlier. And one of the most used analogies in the New Testament is referring to the Christian and to his service and referring to the body of Christ, the church. And many places the church is called the body of Christ. What do we learn from this idea of cooperating with other members in the body of Christ? There's some important implications. Friends, every believer, every, how many believers in the house? Come on, let's be honest. How many? Every believer is a minister of the gospel. Every believer. We call pastors and leaders in churches ministers, but friends, every believer 
No, Pastor, I, I couldn't. Because we have the wrong concept of minister. Scripture says we've all been given the gift of reconciliation. We've all been given this mandate to help see people reconciled back to God. We've all been called to exercise the function of an evangelist and sharing our faith and our story. Every believer is a minister. And secondly, every believer has a different function. Friend, you have been tailor-made. <laughs> tailor-made. I've seen some people where they've had some, uh, you know, accident where they've cut off a finger, um, lost a hand, uh, whatever else. And, uh, and so it's, it's somehow, for instance, my mother, my mother was born um, almost totally deaf. And yet, she may not have been able to hear very well, but could she ever smell good? I mean, with her nose. We lived next door to a, you know, a wrecking yard where they had all these used cars, and my parents always said, don't go over there because the smell of the grease and the gas and the oil really disturbs your mother. We, we thought she'd never know we were over there. We'd walk in the house, you were over there. She could smell it on us. We washed our hands. We used cologne. We did all kinds of things. And she could tell. It's amazing how when there's some deficiencies in our physical body, God strengthens us in, in other areas. But, and God has had to do that in the body of Christ because there's some believers who have a function and they're not functioning. All members in the church don't have the same function. What if we all decided that we were going to be the ear? Sometimes I think there's way too many ears around. You know, we're all going to be the ear. We're going to be the listening part of the church. And, but if, if everybody's an ear, then how is that going to work? You know, um, what if we all decide we're going to be the eye? Most of the time, all of us want to be the mouth. But every believer is a minister. Every believer has a different function. And chaos occurs in the church when we put people into positions for which they're not gifted. We plug them, you know, we force them to plug holes and they're not gifted to do that. And uh, we force people to fill positions either by using guilt or fear or something and that's not the way the body of Christ is meant to operate. We all have different functions so we shouldn't expect everybody to act the same or do the same thing. And a lot of churches, people get elected. Now, we don't elect anymore in our church leadership level, but we appoint. A lot of times people get elected to a position when they're not even gifted to that. It causes all kinds of problems in their lives and everybody else's life. So everyone's a minister. We all have a different function. And every ministry, please hear this, every ministry is important. First Corinthians 12 says, The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the eye, I don't need you. We need each other. Some are bigger and more prominent, perhaps, more obvious. Some are less obvious. I also, I have a hand that's obvious, but I also have a liver that isn't obvious. Which one is more important? My liver's really important. But it's unseen. You don't see it. Just because it's not seen 
doesn't mean it's more important in my life. There are no, now here, there are no little people in the body of Christ. No little people. One of the secrets of guilt-free living as a Christian is to discover what your spiritual gift is. What does God want me to do? And when you know what that gift is, you don't feel bad to say no when people ask you to do things that aren't within your gift. Now, I know sometimes we, you know, we, we do things because of serving, etc., but maybe not long-term things because our gifting's not there. The word gift is the word charisma in Greek. And so, as, as we as believers, every believer cooperating where we need each other, and the gift, okay, charisma, that's where you hear charismatic, the people who emphasize the gifts, the root of the word charisma is also the same as the word for joy. Joy and service come from the same word. If you want to be a happy believer... Find a place of ministry. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. Love your life. I mean, lose your life to find it. If you want to be great, learn to be a servant of all. We dedicate our body. We eliminate external things and distractions that aren't going to last for eternity. So we'll have time for service, for ministry in the body of Christ. Evaluate ourselves soberly, our strengths and our weaknesses. What can I do? What can I not do? Then cooperate with other Christians, realizing I'm not the star. Friends, I'm not the star, and you're not the star. We're all important in the body of Christ. No gift is more important than any other in terms of the total body of Christ. Please, friends, sometimes we like to put... This is a long way down for me. Sometimes we like to put people like myself on this pedestal. I'm not saying we don't honor and respect and those kind of things, but, friends, I can't survive on a pedestal. If you put me and keep me on a pedestal, that can ruin me. We're all important in the body of Christ. All of us. Now I have history being here and all those kind of things. And, and bah. Every ministry and minister is just as important in the eyes of God as this guy. Everybody. And as I more and more come to realize that, I feel freer and freer all the time. Like last Sunday, I, um, people often come to me and say, Pastor, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I... Sometimes what that does, it, it gives a person uh, a wrong sense of importance. Can I just be blunt? At this time in my life, I, what, have, what have I got to lose, really? And so last Sunday, different ones were know about this and paint and this and that and the other thing. So I said to Bernie, Bernie and Don, you've been coming here for now, what, eight months or year, whatever it's been. So Bernie's sitting here, here, I forget where, and I, I sat down and I said, Bernie, can I ask you a favor? So he says, sure, like a good parishioner. 
uh, says, Bernie, um, all this stuff with the paint and renovations that are going to happen around here. And, and um, decisions and stuff. You know, you understand church budgets, right, Bernie? Yeah, I understand church budgets. Okay. Because I'm the guy whose neck is going to be in the noose if we spend money that we don't have, right? So I, I said, Bernie, do you mind if I just, if people come to me, I just say, go see Bernie. Okay. And then I said to Bernie, it's like an anvil just went off my shoulders. And there's other things around here that people are doing. Um, and I so appreciate the fact that they're taking some initiative and taking the whatever, just, yeah, do it, whatever. And somebody said, well, what do you think about this color? Don't ask me colors. My wife says already, don't ask him colors. I mean, I got to leave the, before I leave the house, I, I make her check to make sure I'm coordinated. That's how much I know colors. But, and there's others of you who have, have done some things in the church, and I just, yeah, go do it, and whatever. And, but now, there's other areas of ministry, and, and those are maybe some physical things, but it's amazing how that re- releases a person here. I don't have to worry about that. I don't worry about the books, because somebody else does the books. Uh, I don't worry about the website, because Pastor Roger worries about that, and all the social media stuff, and Pretty soon, I'm not hardly doing anything. Bernie, you don't know how difficult it was for me not to come in the foyer and pick up a paint roller and a brush. I did cheat a little bit and put a couple covers on. It's not that I don't want to work. It's not that I, don't, I shouldn't serve and work alongside because it's so much fun. But friends, there's things that God has gifted you to do, and maybe he hasn't gifted you with a paintbrush. Don't offer to paint. But maybe he's gifted you in mercy. Well, you'll go and visit somebody in a care home. Or maybe he's gifted you with compassion. Where you'll say, if anybody calls and they just need someone to visit them and Give them, bring them something or help them, just let me know. And I'll... Or maybe God has given you a ministry of just coming alongside on a Sunday morning and you see somebody and you're, you're observant as somebody comes in and they, they kind of stand off to the side and maybe they, maybe they got a coffee, maybe they don't, and they're just kind of hanging back. And, and you can see that. And if you can see it, it's because you're sensitive to people who feel lonely and out of place. And you walk up to them and however you do that and because you just allow the gifting of God to flow through you, shake their hand, smile, say good morning. I'm so glad to see you because God has shown you and revealed you something in, the, to that, in you to that, of that person's life. There's so many ways God has equipped you in the body of Christ. I just want to be your cheerleader Wow, yes, go for it.
as we cooperate together in the family of God. We're dependent on each other to get the job done. We all form one body. If one part of the body malfunctions, the rest of the body's hurting. We go to Bible studies and we feed, and those are all great. We go out and we come back and we feed. We come Sunday, we feed, we go out, and we don't get enough exercise. We keep getting bigger to the point that now everybody's calling us a holy roller. We just kind of roll around from meeting to meeting and fattening up. Friends, we all know you've got to exercise to get some muscle. We were all made, get this now, we're all made for ministry. We're all made for ministry. And I conclude, having gone over a little, I'm sorry. We need to activate our spiritual gift. Activate it. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Notice, according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, let him use it in accordance to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Paul gives some examples of spiritual gifts. We could spend days on this. The scripture says when you were born physically, you get some physical endowments, ability to think, etc. When you were born again spiritually, you're given a spiritual gift, at least a spiritual gift. It's not a natural talent. It may coincide with it, but it's more than that. It's an ability that God gave you the moment you became a believer. And he gave it to you to be used to other, help other people to minister. Many Christians go their whole lives and never discover their spiritual gift. Many times they use it and they don't even know they have it. But whether you know what it is or not, you have one. One of your responsibilities is to find out what's your gift or gifts and begin to use it. What is the basis for spiritual gifts? Verse 6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace. The basis for spiritual gifts is the grace of God. That's why they're called gifts. If you had to work for it, you wouldn't need grace. You'd have earned them. The fact is you were given the gift, so it's an issue of grace. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. God's grace is manifested in the church in so many different formats. And we're all given this grace gift, and we should use it. We're responsible to use it. Like we sing, you know, we've got, folks, we've got to get off of our blessed assurance. And use the gifts God has given us. Somebody once said, use it or lose it. If you don't use and exercise the muscles that you have, you know, the next time you try to use that muscle, man, does it hurt, right? It's painful. We have to use and exercise the spiritual gifts we've given. You say, well, well, Pastor, Pastor, I don't know what my gift is. Uh, We're going to jump to that. First Corinthians 12 talks about there's different kinds of gifts but the same spirit, different kinds of service but the same Lord, different kinds of workings but the same God works in all of them. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit, is given for the common good. Common good. Paul lists a number of different gifts. Friends, the gifts that are listed in the Bible are not exhaustive. 
They can't be exhausted. Because I don't read in the Bible the gift of music. I think that's a gift. I don't read necessarily, it talks about intercession and intercessors, but there's a gift of intercession. God gives some people really a, a real gift and ability to intercede and pray on behalf of others. I think we're going to find many people in heaven that are there because somebody had the gift of intercession and prayer. The purpose of spiritual gifts, there's two, maybe. That the body of Christ will be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Every gift given to the believers in the family of God is given to develop unity in the body of Christ. If somebody is using their gift, their talent, their God-given ability to bring glory to themselves or prominence to themselves, it's not developing unity. It's all about developing the body of Christ. It's like I wanted to get the website, it's all about me.com, but somebody else had it. But friends, it's not all about us. It's about the body of Christ. When you come here on Sundays, some of us, we come with needs, desperate needs, and we ought to come with needs if, if we there. But we also should come saying, God, how do you want to use me today to encourage Bless and make somebody else's load easier. How do you want to use me as, as an act of worship to you? Because I'm giving myself totally to you, God. You've got me now. What is it you want of me? It's an act of worship. I love it when I see people talking prior to and after service or having a coffee or maybe even praying with one another or a little laugh over here, maybe a tear over there. It's the body working, functioning, developing. So Paul gives, let me just use seven examples, for instance, of gifts. Prophecy, proclaiming God's word, revelation, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing to the needs of others, where they give generously, leadership, where you govern diligently, showing mercy, doing it cheerfully. It's interesting, there's only seven that are listed right there, but in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, there's nine others. In verse 28, 29, there's a couple more. In 1 Peter, he lists a couple more. Ephesians lists a couple more. Why aren't they all one place? We love to categorize things, but God in Scripture makes no effort at all to categorize the, categorize the gifts. The gifts are listed in the Bible simply as examples, not a closed system. People might argue there's 17 gifts, there's 19 gifts. Oh, get off of that. There's so many gifts. Here's where it comes down to the rubber meets the road. Friends, remember the story in the Bible where God handed out those talents and the one guy goes and doubles it and the one guy goes and gets some and the other guy buries it? Don't bury your talents in the ground. If you have a gift, you have a responsibility. And God will hold us all accountable for what we did with our gift. He doesn't expect us to be like another person, but he does expect us to be ourselves. And I believe that God will one day say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? So friends, on that note, here's what we need to do. 
examine. Look in the scriptures. What are some of the spiritual gifts? What are they? And then experiment. If you don't know what your spiritual gift or gifts are, experiment. Friends, I could write a book on things that don't work in church functions. The only way you're really going to know is not by doing a study or taking a test necessarily, but you're going to know your gift by trying. What clicks? What works? If it doesn't work, we give people the freedom to try something else. Friends, there's nothing wrong with failure as long as you don't quit. Don't give up. Experiment and then exercise. Many times in Scripture we're told to develop or sharpen the focus. Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that you were given by the laying on of hands. Develop it. Friends, we're all growing. If you try something and it doesn't work, okay, at least you tried. Other than painting. You know I'm teasing. Friends, as a church, I think a church is really has to be an organism, not an organization. It's a living, growing entity. So it needs to function like a body, not like a business. I do believe the church is to operate on the basis of spiritual gifts. I don't think you can talk about the New Testament church without talking about spiritual gifts. That's how they operated in those days. If you've got a gift, you're it. Somebody wants to start a ministry to prisons, they're it. A ministry to seniors in care homes, you're it. You've got the burden and the gift and God's in it, it'll work. It's nothing we need to do to push it that'll make it work. That's what the church is all about, meeting needs. If you've got the gift, then get involved. How do you know if you've got the gift? Do it and God will bless it. You feel it, other people feel it, they affirm it. They'll see God is using it. Now, it goes without saying, when you see people up here on the platform and they're playing and leading worship, they got the gift. Don't put me up there on the keyboard. I'll go, brum, bum, bum, brum, bum, bum. That's as far as I can go on the keyboard. But there are people who are gifted. You see people who are gifted in just encouraging others, and they come alongside, and it's almost like they never leave a conversation without saying, can I pray for you? Wow. Or others who, there's a need, they just want to supply. There's a missionary who comes to town and, and there's some need they've got and they're just kind of forking it out. Like, wow. Or somebody wants to do something physically around the building and, and they, can I, oh yeah, go do it. And they do it and what a great job they do. Not just in the foyer, but there's been other improvements on the building, and it's great. People who run the sound up in the sound booth never are seen necessarily. I had some sessions where they were training people, teaching how to use the sound, and they asked if I wanted to come. I said, No. I don't want to know that. That's not my gift. No. When an organization becomes the central thing, maintenance becomes the focus. But when spiritual gifts are the central thing, ministry becomes the focus. And by maintenance, I mean when we have the idea that 
what have we got to do to keep this church going? Ministry says, what can we do to meet needs? What can we do to meet needs? Friends, I believe in the church. People are ministers and we're, as Ephesians says, we're the administers, if you want to put it that way. There's so many people, encouragers, greeters, ushers, women's ministry, men's, youth, college and career, children, music, sound, computer, food, prayer. The church is to meet needs in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. So friends, maybe you don't know what your gift is, your spiritual gift is. Guys, I need you to come play. We sang that song earlier about the shame and the hurt and the pain. And sometimes because of the shame, the hurt, and the pain, we can't see what God wants us to do. I want to say this morning, friends, today is the moment of revelation for some of you. God has placed within you a yearning and a longing. And God's about to break the outer shell, the pain and the hurt and the reservation, and to release the gift that he's placed in you. That it might be for the betterment of the body of Christ, locally and worldwide, to see the glory of God come. not my intent to be this long and I apologize but as we sing this song maybe there's some shame some hurt and some pain and you're saying I can't hardly see beyond it and I just really want to give that to the Lord and I want to dedicate myself totally to him and it's on those grounds that I'd like you to come here and stand here and believe that God's going to reveal to you and maybe you don't know what the gift is and the that God has given you, and I believe God's going to show you this morning what that is. And so if, can we just all stand, then worship is going to sing in a moment. But if that's you, let's not wait any longer. You don't know what that gift is, and you want God to show you what that gift is. Or maybe there's some pain or some things that God just needs to heal, that you might be able to step beyond those things and be the person who God has made you to be in the area of just ministering to others and allowing his gift to flow. And you're here this morning, you say, yes, I want to know what that gift is. I don't want you to wait any longer. Just come right now. No, don't, don't wait. Just come right now and just stand here at the front. And I, I know there's some here this morning. And you're longing for God to flow through you. And maybe to affirm or to confirm the gift that you're sensing. Maybe that's what it is. And you're saying, God, I'm just not sure. And you're going to come here and stand right now. And don't wait. Come on. Keep coming. Keep coming. There's others here. I know it. God wants you to say yes to what he has in mind for you. Something's going to happen here in a few minutes. It's going to be astounding. Father, I just know that right now there's some others that, for whatever reason, we don't have to be embarrassed. We don't have to be shy. We don't have to be anything we just have to know that we belong to a great big body
Can I ask us this question? Just no, no one looking around for a minute. For my own interest sake, I guess, in a sense, how many know what your gift is? And you put your right hand way up. You know what your gift is. Awesome. How many still standing and you're uncertain? Left hand, you're uncertain what that gift is. Anybody? You're uncertain. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. You that are uncertain, could I encourage you to come and stand here at the front? Something's going to transpire here. And it's going to be amazing. Just come and stand. No embarrassment. No one's going to embarrass you. You want to just come and stand here because we're going to believe God for an amazing revelation going to come to your spirit. So you just want to just come. That's awesome. You're welcome to come. Sure, come. Thank you. Yes. Awesome. Now there's some others here in the, in the body of Christ and and you know that God has given you a faith and an ability to pray for someone else to receive from the Lord. And so it's just something God, you know, God has used you and the gift God has given you, whether it's a gift of prophecy or revelation, word of knowledge, and you know God has gifted you that and he's used you in the past. I want you to come and stand behind these folks. And as the worship team leads us in prayer, I want you to come and just stand behind them and pray. If God gives you some word to share with them, share with them. If not, just pray. And so as the worship team just leads us in singing, I just want you, that God has given you that ability and that gift. And you know it. It's a proven thing. I want you to come. This is not the moment I want you to maybe exercise. You think you have it. I need those who just, you know you have it, to come. and Exercising it another occasion. But this one, you know you've been given this ability and you want to come. So worship team, lead us in that song. And let's believe God's going to remove every shame, every hurt, every pain. And there's going to be receptivity in the house. Amen? Amen, amen. Thank you for leading us, team. Amen, amen. And you, folks, you come. From wherever you've been Come broken hearted Let the rescue begin Come find your mercy Of sinner come kneel Though earth has no sorrow That heaven can heal